You're listening to The Science of Superpowers with Tonya Dawn Reclar. Listen here, read the book, and dive into the experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Science of Superpowers. So excited to be here with you today. I'm Tonya Dawn Rekla, and I have with me Chris Hednagy. Do you want to say hello, Chris? Hey, everybody. Nice to be here. Thank you, Tonya, for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. So welcome. Chris is the author of, of, of many things, um, but but really kind of the, the voice behind human hacking in, in the social engineer space. And his most recent book, which we're going to be talking about today, is Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You, right? That sounds good. Like that, what better life can we live than to think that people feel touched and lit up and, and enlivened, uh, inspired even? by an interaction with us, right? And nothing, there's no greater compliment, at least in my book, um, than that. And so I'm really excited about that, particularly given your, 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 your history and sort of where you come at that conversation, which we'll dive into as well. But before we get into the real juicy stuff there, we're going to start off with what are your superpowers and how are you using them for good? Well, I would say uh, understanding how humans make decisions and using that knowledge and bettering communications. So that way we can enhance our ability to have conversation with each other and understand what we're truly trying to say instead of the miscommunications that we so often see in the world. Oh, brilliant. And I think we saw that a lot, especially in this post-pandemic world, um, what happened when we couldn't be together physically, when when we got a little bit afraid of what the future was going to hold for us. That's when we see all of those programs come to the surface, the things, the barriers of communication, if you will, that really get in the way of us truly connecting with each other. And that's what we're talking about today is we talk about energetics and human hacking. So you hear us talk all the time about energetic communication, energetic sensitization, you know, these superpowers that we have, there I say the one superpower we all have, which is the management of our energetic system, because we live in a responsive universe, it responds to us. So how we how we project energetically dictates the type of reality that we live in. And another thing that we discovered from the pandemic is that we don't share realities, right? (laughs) We're all kind of living in our own little worlds. Um, But what we do share is spaces, right? Whether that be virtual spaces, whether it be physical spaces. And when we come together, we can choose to use that for good, right? Or for evil. And so, so let's talk a little bit about how you came to the conversation of social engineering um, and and looking at it from the security lens, because you have a fabulous, fabulous organization, um, Innocent Lives Foundation, that that serves children and youth in this in this um, in this virtual space that is um, quite the playground for some of these social engineering techniques. You know, and we studied it in the counter intel side of things, how you get people to do things that they don't really want to do or they don't think they want to do. Um, but we've seen all of the terrible ways that those techniques have been utilized. So share with our audience a little bit about how you came to this conversation um, that's really kind of a, a dividing conversation, if you will, right? People feel pretty strongly about these techniques and mm. stuff that 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 we teach. How did you come into this space? Yeah, I wish I had a a really cool origin story like, you know, like like Steve Jobs or something, but uh, my life was a series of really happy mistakes. So I, I was uh, an exploit writer 
and a pen tester, which uh, basically we got paid to break into networks and test people's uh, security. And I really stunk at it. I wasn't good. I wasn't bad at coding, <laughs> but I really loved the work and I loved the job. And what I found, I was good at people. I was good at talking to people. So we'd get a job. I would say, hey, can I email a person and just ask for their password? Like make believe on the IT department. And this is before we knew that phishing was a huge thing. We're going back like 18 years, right? And, you know, boss would say, yeah, sure. Try, you know, see if it works. And I'd make a phone call or send a thing and it would work. And I'd get someone's password and then we'd be in. And everyone was like, whoa, how did you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just asked. And that bothered me that I didn't know. So I started reading all these books you could see behind me on psychology, on persuasion, influence, nonverbal communication, how our brains work, you know, body language, everything that I can possibly read. And every time I, I read something, I would document in the columns and then I would go and try that technique again, but with like, like take Robert Cialdini's book on influence and I would try a, a principle of authority and I'd go, ooh, that worked and now I know why. And now I can build education for that person on how to not be susceptible to it. And that took um, about 10 months of my life to build a framework that I was just going to be for me. I didn't think it was going to be anything. I just built the framework so I knew how what I was doing worked. Mm -hmm. And the guys working would say, we should put this online. This is really good stuff. So I bought a domain, social-engineer.org, and I put the framework online. And uh, like two or three months later, um, the world's most famous social engineer, Kevin Mitnick, uh, he, his publisher, he was in prison. He did some bad things, but he reformed and really, really good guy. Sadly, he passed away recently. But um, his publisher called me and said, we want you to write a book. And I went, no, I'm not an author. I'm just a hacker. Like, I don't want to write a book. And she's like, no, really, you got to write this book on this framework you put out. Like, no one's ever done this. So a little convincing, I wrote my first book, um, and that was in 2009, and it came out at the beginning of 2010. And when that book came out, I was getting an unimaginable amount of calls from companies saying, no one has ever talked about this. No one is outside of military spaces. No one's ever even tried to understand this. Come consult with us. And I got a lot of job offers, and I didn't want to go work for someone else, so I ended up starting this company and consulting. And uh, and then went on to write um, four more books after that. But you know, jumping ahead, at one point in my in my career, uh, during one of these tests, I had a chance to um, to find a person who was hurting kids. He was he was molesting children, and he was trading uh, recordings of what he was doing to kids on on the dark web. And it was the, I, my my first time. Like I never, I always thought this was a problem in foreign countries, not here in America, right? And here we are, and it was you know, smack dab in the middle of, of, of my work. And I'm like, this can't be happening. And we worked with the, with the law enforcement agencies and we got him arrested and uh, he'll be in prison for 150 years. And it was a moment in my life where I said, I didn't know that my skill set can do something good. I just thought I was making people more secure, which isn't a bad thing, but I just thought I was a hacker. Right? I didn't know at that moment that I can actually save a life. And it was this really pivotal you know, moment in my, in my path, in my life path where I went, I, I have to, I have to do this again. I can't, I can't walk away from that. And I started telling this story when I was teaching classes and a young man came up to me and said, I, I volunteer for an organization where we, uh, we hunt child traffickers. Do you want to work with us? I said, yes, a hundred percent. So I volunteered with them for a year and uh, they started going a different path and it wasn't a bad path, but that passion to save kids was still something that was really deep in me. So I started the Innocent Lives Foundation um, uh, six years ago, a little over six years ago. And uh, the whole mission was to find people that have a skill set like me that can do things on the internet, that can understand communication 
and find people who are hurting kids and then turn them over to law enforcement. So we're not a vigilante group. You know, we're not those guys who you see on Facebook, like go to McDonald's and try to embarrass someone who was talking to a 13 year old girl. 86% of those cases get kicked out of court. So when I saw that, I said, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a person who literally does stop bad people and help kids have a better life. Mm -hmm. And so we do it all above board, fully legal. We work very closely with law enforcement agencies around the globe. And uh, I'm happy to say as of um, just a couple of weeks ago, we've we've handed in our 500th case to law enforcement to help. So um, that's a, I know it's a long winded answer, but that's that's kind of my my journey. And then if I take that one step forward, my latest book came as a culmination of all of those things I said, where I said, wow, all these skills I have, you can use this in everyday life to just be a better human to learn how to talk to another person, your kids, your spouse, your your employees. And and I, it, it was like a moment in my life because I had trained MI5, MI6, uh, SOCOM, US military, you know, corporations around the globe. And I started to get these answers back of my classes, people saying, you saved my marriage. And I'm like, whoa, I taught you a security class. I didn't, like, I didn't, I didn't do any marriage counseling. And they're like, no, no, that thing you taught me about communication profiling, I used it on my wife and I figured out why we're arguing and fighting and that we fixed. And I'm like, what? Then I had some parents reach out and said, wow, we used your book to learn how to communicate with our um, nonverbal autistic kids. And I'm like, what? Like that wasn't the purpose. And it was really emotional for me because I didn't plan on doing any of that. That's why I said, I wish I had this origin story where I was a genius and I wanted, this is what I was going to do. But my work ended up being really important for people. And then, so this book had to happen and had to come out and be that thing that can help people learn how to use these skills. And and not be a bad person, you know, not, not be somebody that uses them to hurt other people, but to enhance your life and the life of those around you. Chris, I think it's a fabulous origin story. <laughs> and and one of the best, because it, it evolved, right. It evolved you, you, it, it grew you as, as it was growing itself. It was <laughs> this real synchronicity of, um, you know, the, the vocation, right. Where our deep yearnings and the world's deep hunger connect, right. Where, where, where we need to understand what's happening in these exchanges. Um, you know, we saw that during the pandemic, it was so easy for us to divide, um, particularly in these virtual spaces, because we don't understand the energetics. Mm -hmm. I remember being a counterintel agent, and for whatever reason, you know, I've always been very sensitive to intuition and, and, and the exchanges that are happening well beneath the surface, which I contend most people that crack these codes are <laughs> extremely sensitive to these things that are happening under the surfaces. And, and it's our life's work to kind of describe them and bring them up above the surface for those who aren't as sensitized to it, to be able to start utilizing the tools so they become sensitive, right? right? Some of us come up from the bottom and some of us come from the yeah. top and go down. Um, but it's it's almost impossible to explain using the the words and the vernaculars and the silos and the stuff that that currently exists above the surface um, when when we're talking about levels deep of us of our subconscious of our energetics of the programs that run us right and things that happen for most people invisibly um, but for those of us with eyes to see like we see it so clearly and we can incorporate it and and it's kind of like where the whole NLP stuff got started was was they were wanting to understand how very successful, happy psychologists were able to kind of mm. make this work, right? How they were having success with their clients. Um, and they were doing it intuitively. But over time, you can start to see like, what are the patterns? And that's what you were able to do. You were able to harness those, those mechanisms 
um, probably because of an innate sensitivity that, that you possess. And then and then do it enough times using science, right? I, I loved how you, you you talked about the changing of the subtitle from the art um, yeah. of social uh, of human hacking to the science of human hacking, right? Mm-hmm. We we danced around that space too with the science of superpowers. Is it is a science when you can do it over and over and over again and produce the same result, and that's what you know. Similar to my journey, I was looking for the thing that worked one hundred percent of the mm-hmm. time. And even when we had the corporate counter intel firm, you know, it was it was it wasn't enough that we could do something and it worked one time to catch bad guys doing fraud and whatnot. Like we had to have a methodology that worked every single time. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that that hunger, that desire to want to be able to explain it in a way that people couldn't debunk, right? Mm-hmm. Not from an ego standpoint, but it's just not helpful. Like yeah. it's just not a helpful methodology if it's not effective over and over and over again. And for you to have cracked this code, be able to break it down into terms that people can understand and then study and utilize is incredibly powerful. And I think it speaks to how we're evolving as a humanity. And it really is kind of the holy grail to be able to take these unseen things, these intuitive things. And bring them to the surface and share them in a way that makes sense. Um, and so, so kudos to you for that. My Thank my you. applause to you for that because um, you know I can feel your passion in it, and and I love how it's evolving. And it it mirrors what I think we're doing as a humanity, right? It's not enough for us anymore to be able to divide and conquer. Or to you know, might is right. Like we want to understand the more subtleties that exist between us because there's a richness in that exchange. Right. To be able to have somebody feel like their life was somehow improved by mm-hmm. having connected with you, that there's a subtlety in that exchange. Right. It's it's very rarely about the the things that we think like money or or mm-hmm. or other incentives yeah. that we think. It, it's how does it make us feel about ourselves, about the future, about our world. And, and that's really at the heart of what you're talking about here. Um, and so where where do you go from here, Chris, with, with this stuff that, I mean, you've touched into so many different spaces and now you're, 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 you're touching homes and lives and, 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 and relationships between parents and children. Where do you go with this now? Yeah. I just want to comment on something you said, because it's it really powerful. You know, I didn't, um, when I didn't intend for all this to happen, but I, I love that it happened because uh, getting an email from someone telling me that their marriage got saved because of mm-hmm. reading a book or coming to a class, like that's that's re- that's more rewarding than a million dollars on the bank or whatever amount of money you want to put. Right. It, it, at the end of the day, like it, we're all going to end up taking a dirt nap at some point. Right. And I want my kids to go, wow, dad saved a lot of a lot of people or dad helped a lot of people. Not wow. Dad made a ton of money. Right. So that, that, that to me is the motivator. Right. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, not always, but sometimes when you do what you're passionate about and you do it well and you help others, success comes with that, you know, and, and that's not always a guarantee in my opinion, but you can see that, that people feel that passion and they want to work with people that, that really understand it. Like for, for me, one of my analogies I love to use is when I couldn't understand why it worked. I felt like an auto mechanic that if you went and said, Hey, I have a problem with my car. And he goes, Yep, that's the brakes. I can hear them squeaking. Great. Can you fix it? He goes, Nope. Well, then you're a useful, you're a useless auto mechanic, right? And when I was going to people and I was doing these security assessments and they go, Okay, but why did that work? And I would go, I don't know. I felt like a useless auto mechanic. Like I can't help you. All I'm doing is 
like basically punching you in the face and then saying, I don't know how to tell you to defend yourself. So I'm just going to keep punching you in the face. <laughs> Good luck <right>? with that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and it felt like a really useless part of my, of, of my, of this industry. And so I think part, part of my mission now is I want to change that. That's why I teach at university of Arizona. It's why I do so much speaking. It's because I want to change the way that this industry approaches this because becoming a like professional social engineer is very easy. I mean, I see people come into the industry all the time. Almost anyone could that is comfortable talking to people could could hack a person. But they're all at that level. I shouldn't say that. Not all. That was mean. They're, a lot of them are at that level where they don't know why it worked. So they're good at the job, but they can't explain the mechanisms to fix it. So it's about when when I was like that, it was more about my ego. It was about me. It was about me wanting to feel really cool hacking things. And the more I did well at it, it was like, yes, I'm awesome. But then when that first client said to me, okay, that's great, but what do I do? Because if you can do it, then the guy over there can do it and that guy can do it. And I'm going to be hacked. So what do I do? And I sat back and went, huh, I got no clue. Um, I don't know. And there's no, you can't put a firewall up to protect humans, right? There's no antivirus that does that. So it was, that's when it hit me. This has to change. Like the industry as a chain, we have to start understanding. And and I'll bring it back to something else you said during pandemic. I mean, it's like you look at the way people communicate with each other online and it's so hateful and it's so bitter. And it's so like they say things to people that I can't imagine you would ever say to someone's face. And because that screen divide gives people empowerment to say these horrific things. And it's it, we have to realize that, you know, I just did reading something on psychology today. That uh, that old added sticks and stones break your bones, but words can never hurt me. That's not true. Words do hurt. And when That's people right. say things that are mean and terrible and bigoted or misogynistic or racist, it hurts. And it doesn't just hurt the person you said it to. It hurts all the people reading it. So learning how to take these skills outside of security and just every day, just think about, look, I don't think I'm going to change the world. But if I can change my little small circle right here where I live and my family and my friends, and then they take that and they can change their little small circle of their family and friends, and then those – and that that's like a – sounds like a pyramid scheme, but then maybe the world does change eventually, right? But in the best way possible. It's not <laughs> we can just, use the pyramid uh, you know, scheme for good, right? For good, right? And I, I, right. You know, I, I think – that's where I want to see it go. And uh, of course, I don't want to stop working with ILF for me, um, uh, that mission. I, If you had asked me six years ago, where would you be? I thought it'd be four people in a room doing the work and then handing stuff over. I got I got six employees. I got 50 volunteers. It's it, it, it blows my mind to think like, here's an organization that just started from an idea. And now all of these people support it. You know, it, it's uh, we just had our first gala out in L.A. LeVar Burton was our host. Like that blows my mind. My kids both learn how to read because of him, right? Like it's like, it, like just the things that you say that out loud. I'm like, oh no, wow, that's my life right now. It doesn't make sense. So I, I wish I had a better answer. I don't know what happens next. You know, I think um, I am working on uh, on on some AI projects, which I know is the new buzzword. But I think uh, one of the things I'm really scared about is uh, the bad guys are using AI and uh, in, in, in unprecedented ways, and um, and we are not. So we're, it's like we're taking a knife to a gunfight. Mm-hmm. And and it feels like we need to start thinking about how to use AI and protection. So um, I'm working on some things like that. Um, and that that's that's hopefully another iteration of this. Like, I don't know where that goes because AI scares me a little. <laughs> and I don't know if you if you look into that much, but AI scares me a little because of how far it's advancing without regulation. Um, but I think it's part of this matrix of how we 
you know, we grow and we evolve as, as humanity because machines are becoming more and more integrated into our lives. And I don't see that stopping. So we have to kind of grab it, adopt it, and then hopefully let people with good morals and ethics help guide it so it doesn't, you know, we're not living in Skynet in a couple more years or something terribly scary right. like that. Well, I do, I do look into AI. And in fact, I take a little bit of a different approach with it because it's inevitable, <clears> right? And <throat> yeah. that, and so to me, all the conversations about stopping it and this, I'm, I'm like, what do we know about no. trying to repress the technology? Like it's, that's never going to yeah. work. But what never. I do know, and to your point is, is yes, we need to use it for protection, but, but more importantly, that embracing element. And it's like, how do we use it for good? And, and the, our resistance to it, the fear stories that we create about it, that's doing more damage than what any AI is going to do in the future. Yes. And if we can say, look, this is an inevitability. And I've been saying for a lot of years, like we need to bring the consciousness space and the tech space together. Uh, probably a decade ago, I said the only companies that will survive moving forward are those that can stay up with technology and consciousness. Because we otherwise we're creating two separate realities, two mm -hmm. whole different societies, because you've got folks in the consciousness space that just opt out completely opt out. Like I don't touch social media for the most part because of the influence within it. Hmm. Um, I'm almost completely unmarketable <laughs> too, right? Like you, I don't allow my energetic system to be mm. influenced by very much. And if I do, it's through my choice and I'm consciously aware of it. But to get to that point, you have to understand your energetic system. You have to understand mm -hmm. how you're influenced. You have to understand how it feels when you start to get influenced because otherwise it's too late. The second a program kicks in, you're ensnared. And that's how these folks have been successful. What did it for me was I was teaching, you know, at the counter Intel course and they asked me to teach things like lie detection and NLP. Mm -hmm. And I refused. I said, first of all, it's not a science. Not None mm -hmm. of these are sciences because people have beaten them. Yeah. Um, polygraph people, the worst spies right. in history have beaten the polygraph. Yeah. So we don't know yet what's really going on under the surface. That means we need to keep digging. We shouldn't be teaching things that we don't really understand. And a very select few people can utilize these tools in ways that actually work. However, what will beat every single tradecraft rule every single time are human energetics. Every time. If you understand your energetic system and you know how to program yourself and you've dug up all your subconscious programs and you've readapted them to who you know yourself to be and you understand your own resonance, it's you're completely untouchable mm. when it comes to 99.999% of these techniques because you can feel them coming a mile away. The more expansive you get, the farther out you can see them coming. And they're so obvious. Once you start down that trajectory, that sensitization, yeah. we've talked to thousands of people who've had some element of an awakening journey <laughs> into some awareness of who they are beyond themselves. And the one factor that every single one of those experiences shared was it set them on a trajectory of increased energetic sensitization. Mm. That's it. That's the only thing all of them shared because we did it across culture, across genres, across That's silos. That's interesting, actually. And you cannot catalyze an awakening experience for somebody, sort of like your story, mm -hmm. like yeah. it, it unfolds, right? It happens very uniquely within each individual's yeah. reality. However, you can simulate energetic sensitization and start people on a trajectory of fortifying themselves energe energetically 
to where they're not susceptible to most of these techniques. Yeah. I believe that that's where we're going. And, and when it comes to the AI conversation, like we forget that we are creators. AI is responding to us every time. And if it does something that we don't like, it's because we're allowing it to do something mm -hmm. we don't like. Yeah. The key is, is that what aspect of us is allowing that to happen. And most of the time that's in what we would consider the subconscious, which <laughs> for a long time, we tell people that they can't really access, but it's just not true. It's just a layer of ourselves that most of us aren't sensitized to, but that's an easy solution. We know how to fix that, but it changes how we look at it, right? I think the conversations and the debate about AI are important not because we stand a chance of stopping it from happening, but because those conversations are allowing us to start playing with frameworks that say, hey, we should start thinking generations out. What is mm -hmm. What are the implications of this? And for some of our short-sighted, Americanized kind of philosophical <laughs> viewpoints, we don't often think about much beyond what happens in the immediate moment. Those AI conversations are forcing us to start saying, wait, but what are the implications of this? And I think those conversations are very valuable. We're never going to stop AI. How do we want to use it? Right. And if we're smart, the conscious yeah. folks oh. and the and the tech folks will get together and we'll be able to create solutions that pretty much disable the silly machinations that are happening by predators using these things. And I call them silly, not because they're not hurtful and not doing damage, but silly because we have to start reframing our fear around them, right? If we're afraid of it, we we, yeah. we, it, we become kind of paralyzed by it. We can't be afraid of it. We have to come up with solutions to, um, to work with it, essentially, like you're talking about. And so I have, yeah. I've, I've spent a lot of time in these spaces and, um, and for me, we're off base, completely off base. <laughs> the amount of money that is going to fund conversations that I think are completely worthless at this point in time, unless we start conceptualizing them from a wider perspective, um, it's kind of sad, actually. But I do think that it's they're doing something, but they're not doing what most people think they're doing. And yeah. um, the tech side of things is literally inevitable. It's going to happen. We can't put that genie back in the bottle. <laughs> No. Um, and so how do we want to be with it? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and there are a lot of benefits. I had um, Dr. Amit Goswami on a number of times on the show and, and, and he's out of the quantum physics realm. And he had a really good perspective, too, is like we need AI on some level because we're evolving as a humanity. We don't want to have to deal with a lot of the um, kind of linear, like, like more minuscule type of, type of decision-making stuff that we used to have to deal with in the past, we're capable of much more. And the more we embrace and harmonize with AI, it frees us up to be a lot more creative. Mm. It's a very different perspective, but that's how consciousness, creative intelligence folks think, right? How can yeah. we use this in that capacity? We were a long way from there, but if we can start bridging the gap between those two camps, I think we're going to see some very creative solutions. And so I love that you're sitting in that space that your journey has continued to evolve you into like what's possible for humanity with them. Yes, we can take some of those tools and use them for protection. But I think ultimately, if we tackle that conversation at that bigger level, we're going to see those solutions. Those are just mm -hmm. a natural byproduct of looking out generations from now and saying, what world are we creating? And what world do we want to create? 
for our children, for their children. You mentioned, mm. you know, your kids being able to say, you know, dad saved lots of kids. But the bigger thing is dad knew how to connect with me. Mm. Dad knew how yeah. to take a breath and take a pause and say, hey, what's going on in your world? And and listened and really could feel me and made me feel heard and felt like you give kids that and you're giving them the world, right? And they'll create the next generation of solutions because they know themselves to be loved, right? They know themselves to be creative and validated. That's valuable in our society. Yeah, way more valuable than money or gifts. And and that's, that's scientifically proven, right? Children that are loved and that feel loved and that know they're valued, they can be the poorest kids on earth, but they're happy. That's you know, right. Versus, well, we versus saw those even, who have everything. Even in the spy sector, like money was never the most valuable motivator <laughs> ever. And then we were so off base by chasing them. And we need to follow the money. But why are people doing these things? Right. What is it that they're seeking? What is that deep hunger, that deep need within us that cries out for us to kind of go against society? Like it costs us a lot when we decide to go against the grain to kind of do these deceptive techniques. Like what is it that would allow us to do this? Um, my husband's kind of my hero in this place because he he gets, he'll get, he, he's on social media all the time and people will solicit, you know, he'll get these random emails like, hi, do you want to do this thing? And he's <laughs> like, and he engages them in conversation. And he's like, is there anything else you could do with your time that would actually be beneficial for the world? Right. And he got this one guy talking. He's like, well, I do like t- taking photographs. And he's like, what if you took photographs <laughs> and sold those instead of scamming people online? Like, could you wow. make money at that? Right. That's, that's phenomenal. Like, Dude, you're nuts. You know, yeah. he, to him, it's like, you have, to, we have to stop being afraid of these things and just jump right in and go, why are you doing this? Like, mm. you know, kind of with that confused dog look and certainly in the kid space that you're in, right. It's arming our children with how to kind of have their own sensors. Yeah. Um, energetically. Um, and and we want to be careful with claiming like everybody can do this. But those of us who can should and should teach others who can how yeah. and stop being afraid of the things that we think are going to take over the world and instead go, wait, if we allow that to happen, that's on us. Yeah. Like, aren't we the world? And so Clearly, that's that's one of my soapboxes, as you, as you just got to witness. Um, but I, I really appreciate knowing that there are folks in the security and protection spaces still, because I opted out, um, who are willing to bring this part of the conversation forward. Um, because you mentioned the folks who are effective without knowing why, but they're only effective till they aren't. Yeah. And, and they, you know, they can't beat those who are energetically solid. And it's yeah. like, and now they're just like, oops, well, there's one. And it's in your situation talking about kids, one is too many. And and sadly, we, um, you know, I think you, you've probably seen this to your career too. Uh, a lot of people, they can rise to fame and success without the knowledge of how things are supposed to operate. And, um, and you can't really, st- you, you can't stop that because stopping that means you got to kind of be mean to other people or you got to discredit them. And that's not my style. Right. So um, you, you kind of just try to be your best and and show people that, look, you, I can do this work, but I can also tell you why it works. And then you hope that the people who really value, because there's a lot of people who just want a checkbox right in the security world. I just got to do this because the bank says I got to do it. Uh, and then there's, there's uh, people who really care about being secure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same when it comes to families, right? There's, uh, there, there's people who really, really care about their kids, grandkids, the people that are under them, and they want to, they want to make sure they're safe. So they take the time to learn because that's the hardest part. I think is 
if if parents don't know what kind of attacks are happening, how can they possibly have communication with their kids about it? Right. So pa- parents don't know that kids are being exploited every day on gaming sites and on, you know, on chat programs and things like that. They don't understand how, the level that this is happening. So how can they n- help their kid if they if mm-hmm. they are then proposed or something happens to them that they didn't mean to happen? You know, they hand a photo over <clears throat> that that is a little risque or or totally, you know, pornographic at some extent. And now the kid's embarrassed. I don't know who to go to. Those conversations have to happen way before that occurs. Right. right? So these skills are so important for for parents and caregivers because they have to learn. Like you know, I could only imagine if that was my my daughter. um, You know, you would have a lot of emotions. Some of them might be anger or sad or disgust, but those are not the things you need to express when she comes to you and tells you that a, a situation just occurred. So it's it's understanding, like you said, yourself, your energy within yourself, and then being able to channel that and control that at certain points so the conversation can be effective and can actually accomplish what it needs to accomplish at that moment. That's what I love the your newest book is that you're you're not I predict like or I I, I contend that we cannot possibly teach enough tactics mm-hmm. to arm our kids with with all of the different ways that people might come at them. But by having communication, by having yeah. open dialogue, by them knowing they are loved and heard, by them being able to get that fulfillment from us first and foremost, yeah. to be able to feel whole unto themselves, that is a surefire way to create a platform where one, if 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 it even comes close to them, they'll start to go, hey, this weird because it feels weird in their system. They yeah. know. They feel it first, way before they're consciously aware of it. And if you and your children have such an amazing relationship where they go, hey, this kind of feels weird, you know, and they can come to you and and say, hey, this is what's going on. And you can say, okay, how do you handle this? I remember our daughter and her cousins were out at a park one day. We were out in California and these adult males decided to invite them over for beer. I think they were nine, 10 and 11, like ridiculously Whoa. young ages. Right. And um, so our daughter comes home, you know, they come right home and, and my, they're telling me this. And I said, did you feel afraid? And she said, no, I didn't feel afraid, but it was weird. Right. There was this weird thing. We knew who the gentlemen, gentlemen were. We knew who they were. We knew where they lived and everything else. And um, they had had kind of a history with this. And so, but at the same time, there was the the initial reaction would have been, oh my gosh, you can't go to the park. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, You didn't do anything wrong. You have every right to be able to go to the park, you know, it's right. It's a little neighborhood park. Right. And, and it was, and, and I watched my daughter kind of deal with this because she was pretty world savvy at this point and, um, and be able to say like, this isn't fair. Like, it's mm-hmm. just not fair for this to be going on. And so I said, how do you want to handle this situation? what feels good to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we had this whole game plan strategy thing, right. She had her phone, she had her this and, and it was like, okay, what, what's really going on here. Right. Is this something to be afraid of, or is this something to be able to turn around and go, yeah, no, this isn't, this isn't going to happen here. And so um, they were squirrely, right. These gentlemen and then long story short, we eventually got them. Right. But it was, it was, it was so powerful to watch these young women be able to say like, no, just no, this isn't okay. You don't get to, mm-hmm. to 
we just want to play at the park, right? Yeah. And to invoke that feeling in them, not this like vigilante, like you need to take them on, but knowing they had us standing there with them, that yeah. they were empowered in the situation. I'm like, this isn't something to be afraid. This is pathetic. And here's how we're going to handle this, right? Mm-hmm. And and certainly we kind of, you know, had all of our backup strategies. We've had, we've had co-red yeah. strategies with our daughter right. since she was two, <laughs> You know, and so it was a unique situation and I don't advise it for everybody, but it was an opportunity to repaint that picture to say, nobody gets to make you feel like a victim. Nobody. Yeah. Right. And, and, and in this situation, and they had to deal with mom and dad later and eventually the police and everything else. But, but it was a beautiful opportunity to, to walk them through this and mm-hmm. say, this isn't going to stop here. And I'm not always going to be right. a bike ride away. What options do you have available? There's three of you, right? What options do you have available? Like, what is the threat and how do we really look at this from a rational perspective rather than continue to to, yeah. to make the statement that you have no power in this moment, but because you do, you know, and you've got the law on your side and you've got all these <clears> other <throat> components. And it was just a beautiful, and all three girls afterwards, we were deconstructing. They're like, oh my gosh, it was so <laughs> amazing. And then they did this and we were like, no, you know, <laughs> and just, just no, right. And, yeah. um, you know, and that that's sort of the philosophy, I think that we can start to imbue everybody with because it is terrifying when you don't understand it. And you're educating in a way that's so incredibly important and empowering. Um, I, for one, feel better knowing that you're in the conversation oh, you. and that you're going to continue to follow mm-hmm. your path. Um, what can we do? What can we do to best support your efforts, particularly with the foundation? Um, certainly we can share your book and we can talk about that, but as individuals who are like, yes, and impassioned by what you're talking about, what can we do? Um, well, there's a few things. That's a nice question. Thank you for asking that. Um, so first I I think uh, educating yourself, right. And you can do that on our site. We have a lot of information on innocentliesfoundation.org for parents and caregivers for kids about how to have these difficult conversations about things that are uncomfortable. Talking to your kids about sexual exploitation or about molestation is hard. It's not an age appropriate, of course, but it's difficult no matter what age they are. Um, it, 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 those conversations can be awkward. You know, what if you send a picture? What if you take a picture you shouldn't have taken? Like, let's talk about that. Those things can be really difficult. So we have a lot of information for parents there. So the first is educating yourself and and your kids. Uh, but second, you know, we're talking about us, spreading the word. You know, we've had so many parents come to us, ask for help because their kids were exploited. Police were uh, were not helpful because some, and I don't mean this as any discredit to the police, but a lot of times local small town police departments don't have the training. So they do things that are terrible. Like they go and interview the kid and they were like, well, why were you so dumb to send a nude? And it's like mm. just such victim blaming and and the kid just shuts down and now they don't want to talk. They they don't want to do it. So then the, the cops go away. Right. And the parents are just frustrated and lost. So they come to us and we, you know, we talk to them differently and we communicate with the parents and then we help them and then we find the bad guy and then we turn them in um, so parents, you know, so they can come to the site. Uh, they can volunteer. They can donate. We're, we're a nonprofit. All of these things can be helpful to keep our mission going. Uh, but I think for for me, the biggest thing is just look communicate with your kids, right? I mean, it's don't don't think teachers are going to do it. Guidance counselors, other people, it's our job. It is our job. You know, your story reminded me of something that happened with my daughter. She's 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 nineteen now, but a couple of years ago, she was working at a at a shaving shop. Oddly enough, and uh, she came home one day and she's really upset, and she's telling me this story about a young man that works in the store who's being harassed by a female employee. 
And, and she's saying things to him that are inappropriate. And when he doesn't reply the way she wants, she even hit him a few times with like an umbrella. And, wow. and my daughter, Maya, she, she said, uh, I, I feel like I, some, somebody, somebody should do something. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And she goes, well, I talked to him and he didn't want to report it because he feels like that will make him look weak. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, how do you feel about that? And she said, if the roles were reversed, if she was hitting him, I wouldn't even think about reporting it. I would just go right to the boss. And I'm like, okay, so what do you want to do? And she goes, I want to report it. I go, then you should. And she did. And uh, he was a little embarrassed, but he thanked her afterward. And he said, you saved me from an abusive situation. And she got fired. Uh, not my daughter, the, the woman who was abusing. And uh, and she came home and just felt so empowered, like just so empowered. Like That's I did the right. right thing. And I'm like, you did do the right thing. But it was That's her right. choice to do the right thing. And when we talk to our kids, the way like you talk to your daughter about that situation, and we ask them, what do you want out of this? And how do you feel about this? Mm-hmm. They get to process all of that. And they get to process how they want to move forward through life. Now my daughter has that experience for the rest of her life. So I, I have no doubt if she is in another work situation where she sees someone being abused, I know exactly how she's going to handle it. That's I know she's right. going to stand up for what's right and just, and she's not going to let somebody be hurt uh, by the wayside because I know how she'll think about it and how she'll handle it. And that, geez, as a parent, right? Can you that's feel right. any better in your life? Like that is, whew, like I'm done. Yeah, oh, that's it. Yeah, that's right. That's we win. Good you know, job. Check. <laughs> that's it. Check. Done. <laughs> I feel like a good dad right now. You know, so that right. it's 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 um and that no, that's not about the uh, the stuff ILF does, but it's still the same point. Is that when you when you have these conversations with your kids before a situation occurs, they're going to feel comfortable coming in and saying, and that's what happened. She came home from work and she's like, I need to talk to you about something, and that that to me was the win right there that she felt comfortable enough to come home and ask for advice and to want to talk about it because she was distraught. And if you're, if you feel like your kids aren't that way, like they're not going to want to talk to you. And I'm not saying my daughter tells me everything. I mean, she's still a normal teenager. Right. But, um, but I know that if it's serious, she's going to come to me. I know that if she wants help, she's going to come to me. And if you can't say that about your kids, then it's your job to fix it. Right. Your, your job to figure out how do I communicate and how, don't think the kids, well, you know, they roll their eyes or they don't say, yeah, that's right. That, every kid does that. Uh, I have a great relationship with my daughter and my son, but they both do that. Right. So it's not, <laughs> they it's still not a, roll their eyes. <laughs> they, they still roll their eyes. But I know that when it gets serious, either one of them would call me for help. And and if mm. it's so you, you got to get to that point and it's our job to do it, not their job. And that might take a lot of work if if they're older and you haven't done it before. Of course, the best time to start is when they're young you know, uh, teaching them these skills and empowering them with these skills. I remember when my daughter was little, um, you know, I come from a, a big uh, Italian American family and, you know, uh, kids like you always had to come out and hug whoever was there. And my daughter, um, you know, being uh, reading about nonverbals and everything, uh, sometimes she would show some fear of people and people were like, well, she should come out and be friendly. And it's like, well, if she's uncomfortable, she's uncomfortable. And there was a reason for her discomfort. And I don't know what it is. And if her, if I force her out of her discomfort zone, then what am I teaching her for the future? That anytime this guy makes you uncomfortable, it doesn't matter how you feel, just go give him a hug. So I said, no, we will not be those kind of parents. She's allowed to be uncomfortable. She's not allowed to be rude, but she's allowed to be uncomfortable. So we always empowered her with that, that if you do not feel comfortable in a situation, there is no action you have to take. You still got to be polite. You got to be nice. You got to be human. You got to, you know, you got to make people feel better, but you do not have to be in any situation that makes you feel uncomfortable. Now at 19, I see how she handles that. And I'm very proud of that, that I'm, I look back at those lessons when she was two, three, four, and I'm like, thank God we did that. 
because young young women today are often told your feelings are invalid, like you're you're just being silly or whatever. It's your time of the month or we're all stupid things like that, and they're told to ignore their actual internal radar that says this guy is dangerous, and then they're in a situation that ruins their life for a long period of time. So empower your kids to understand we are built with this amazing system that tells us when danger is near and we have it. And when we're non-communicative little toddlers, that's what we're doing the whole time. Looking at our parents for, is it good? Is it bad? Is it safe? Is it not? And then we start to communicate with words. And sadly, sometimes parents, we do the wrong thing by saying, no, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Or, you know, or we teach them not to understand that that internal radar is something that is a gift and that we should be using it our whole life that intuition, that nonverbal uh, sense that we have. So I just, you know, like, and, you know, just saying to parents, like really embrace that and help your kids to to learn to embrace that too. Oh, Chris, that that's a perfect note to end on. That's like, amen, <laughs> drop the mic. Like, I, I think that um, fabulous folks, there's lots of resources at innocentlivesfoundation.org. Um, make sure you check out Chris's new book, Human Hacking, Win Friends, Influence People, and Leave Them Better Off for Having <laughs> Met You. And that includes your children, right? Yes. That includes your First children. First off, includes and your children. <laughs> that's right. And if you want some training in that energetic sensitization, go to superpowerexperts.com and go to the courses tab and look for those CIFA core classes. You will appreciate having that wisdom, having that knowledge. It's going to make it easier to have these conversations. And these lessons aren't just for your kids. Most of us, our kids, our little inner children never got trained in this stuff. And it's doing damage to adults as well. The same techniques are working on us too. Use these techniques, use the sensitization tools so that you're not susceptible to that kind of influence. Modeling is the best thing you can do for your children. Chris, I can't thank you enough, both for coming on and sharing your wisdom, but mostly for being in the trenches, for being in the conversation, for following your own guidance, for for allowing the the universal field to move you into your placement and access so that you can be a voice um, in these bigger dialogues and all of the ways that you've been. Um, We encourage you know that you've got fans over here at the Superpower Network, and and we welcome you back on the show anytime you want to share what you're up to. Um, I can't thank you enough for that. Thank you. This was a great, great time and a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad that you feel that way. And folks, to you out there, we thank you for listening. We know that that your support has helped make us who we are today. Um, And we can't thank you enough for that. Until next time, remember who you are. We love you. Love each other. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.